and welcome to Sinister Sunrise. I'm Morgan. I'm Sarah. I'm Aaron. And we're bringing it to you. Another episode. Episode 23. Last week we hit you Ooh. with a group episode. This week we're back at it with our individual topics. Uh, and, well, first off, Aaron, we're recording a little bit later in the day because Aaron was at the lake. Summertime shenanigans for Aaron again. <laughs> I'm very jealous if you guys can't tell. Uh, hope everyone had a safe and happy fourth. My butt sat on the couch and watched How to Get Away with Murder. So how were you Ooh. guys this Fourth of July? <laughs> that sounds beautiful. It was great. I went over to my sorority Little's house. We had a few drinks. I had a lot of cookies and a lot of hot dogs. I got a lot of texts <laughs> and um, Facebook messages asking how many hot dogs I had yesterday. Just two. <laughs> I'm an adult. I can. Two. I can, mm-hmm. But I also had a burger and some other stuff. But yeah. <laughs> and lots of cookies. <laughs> so many. Okay. So my two loves, hot dogs, obviously, and then ooey gooey butter cookies from Schnucks, which Ooh. if you're not from St. Louis, I don't think they're everywhere. I think they're like a Midwest market mm-hmm. place. Well, gooey, gooey butter in itself. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know what drug they put in these cookies but i would like i would i don't know i don't know what i would do for them i'd do a lot i had a lot of them it was great Aaron, what about you (laughs) well i went to the lake um with my friends and um saw a whole bunch of fireworks i don't know about you guys but it seemed like everyone like just stockpiled all of their fireworks and blew them off it was great it was fun I also got I'm, hit in the eye with a frisbee, so besides that, so, <laughs> it was a great time. So that's why it looks like you're wearing a little more makeup today. Wow. I'm just kidding. I don't <laughs> think it's bruised. I'm, it was not. by this young kid, and <laughs> so my friend's brother was teaching him how to throw the frisbee, and yeah. I was like, ah, oh, this kid, he's not going to get it, but he's going to try really hard. And on the third time, I swear, he just shot it, the straightest frisbee shot I've ever seen, and of course, my beer's in my right hand. And I'm like, oh, no. And I try to deflect it with my left, and it just hits me straight in the face. Was oh, there any video no. of this? No. Okay. But oh, I was pretty no. proud because he was – that was a great <laughs> shot. Two things. One, I'm really glad that you didn't drop the beer. That's very important. And yes, two, first and foremost. Yes, I did not drop that. I'm surprised the Frisbee didn't stick to your face because you're the glue. <laughs> I'm just like really <laughs> – I'm sorry. I'm sorry. As soon as you said it, I was like, what if that that didn't happen? (laughs) It's like the first thing that popped in my head. I was like, what if that just was like, not in a gross way, like in a like, it's. But it was also (laughs) a rubber Frisbee. So rubber and glue don't go together, right? So it just bounced bounced right off. off Yeah, wait, what what is it? Rubber, glue. Sticks. Sticks. Sticks and stones don't break my bones. Uh, It's like rubber and glue. Whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. Yeah. I learned Ooh. that from the movie Superstar. Superstar. Wow. Well, Aaron, I'm glad your eye is okay. Sarah, I'm Thank a little you. disappointed in your hot dog count, but understand that you had to also enjoy the other plethora of 4th of July foodies. So I'm trying to, I don't know, to not eat the million calories, but I enjoyed every single <laughs> freaking bite of those hot dogs. Hell yeah, you did. Oh, As I you should. It. Thank you. Should. Well, to kick things off in traditional fashion here, Sarah did say, hey, for my story, I'm going to have like some questions, so bring a drink, so in case you get them wrong. And ladies, she's back. 
Hey, <laughs> White Claw Outlaw, she here. Coming at you with the White Claw. Fresh. I just saw that spew it's, on your shirt a little bit. It sprayed, <laughs> it sprayed me on the face a little bit, but she's just excited. It's refreshing. That's <laughs> it feels like the first time. Mm, that mango mm, hits. It just hits different. It just hits different. <laughs> so it's different. I had to be dramatic. I'm sorry. It's it's me. Uh, so cool. Fourth of July was good. Very mm-hmm. different for the old lady of the group, which ironically by age is Sarah, but by me it's normal standards because I'm old as hell and I sleep. Don't much. give that away <laughs> to people. Hey, hey, hey. You're the one that told the actual age. So That's fair. I'm old. <laughs> so for the game today, I downloaded an app to assist us with okay. this. So the game is... I'm going to hit this app button and it's going to generate a random letter. And then we have, I'm going to set a timer for mm, 45 seconds. And whoever can write the most uh, words that begin with that letter will will win. But it's kind of like Boggle or whatever those word games are. If if one of us has that word, it doesn't count. Should I do a minute or should I do 45 seconds? 45 is good. Yeah. Okay. All right. So as soon as I give the letter, I will hit the timer. All right. Are we ready? Are... Yes. 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 Check your writing pen or your pens and pencils. Are we all good? Everyone? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> the letter is A. And three, two, one, begin. Here. Uh, Aaron, do you want to start and read some of your words and just we'll cross them off as we go? Sure. And you said A, right? Because now I'm freaking out that I just. <laughs> yeah, <know. laughs> A. Um, <laughs> she said C. Oh what my the God. Hell? <laughs> she just gets. Oh, and then do, do places work too? Yeah. It can be any word. Cool. Oh, I said any word. Up. Yeah. Cool. Okay. I had alphabet. Oh, that's a good one. I didn't have Goody. Goody. Aardvark. Ooh, uh, an antelope. Fuck. Acting. Actor. After. Afternoon. Ooh, good one. American. Hey, happy folk. All. <laughs> oh my god. How did I always. not get American? Oh my god. Actually. Antarctica. I had that. Okay. Cross that off. Bad. Alaska. Damn. Alabama. I had Alabama. Okay. Arkansas. Nope. Amazing. I think Aaron won. <laughs> Agree. And alleviate. That starts with the day, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I started writing it, it and I'm like, okay, cool. Okay, so I'm sorry. At this point, <laughs> I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven words. <laughs> oh, I still have 12. 
Holy shit, I'm so bad at this. Are you guys ready? So I have a total of 16. But yes, continue. Oh, yeah, wait. We can cross them off, though, Morgan. So it could be... You know what I mean? Like, if we have the same one. Oh, if Sarah has something. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I have A, because the word A is a word. Ha, ha, ha. Good one. That's fine. Hey. Apple. Yeah. Asparagus. Ooh. Africa. Argentina. Alien. You can see where my head was, okay? Allow. Also. Altruistic. Advance. Advantage. Advantageous. And amygdala. What? Nice. Amygdala is a real word. It's part of your brain. It's part of my story. So that's why I thought of it. Guys. Twelve. Well, six now. <laughs> I was so ready for this game. Oh my god. I'm really bad at thinking of words like you guys did like always and like I don't know. I'm not I thought of like actual physical things because I'm stupid. Mm-hmm. What'd you apple, get? Apple applesauce. I th- hey. okay. After the to- clock stopped, I was like, I don't know why I didn't hop from apple to applesauce. So That's what I did. My first Go two words. Arctic alligator angel. Angle. Mm-hmm. I spelled both. Ooh. Ooh. An Apple Watch. <laughs> oh. Okay. I'm done. <laughs> All right. So it's Aaron, me, you, right? Yeah. Mm, sure. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> That'll do. That'll do. All right. Woo-hoo. Aaron, bring it home, baby. Cool game. Sweet. This is the first time I've been, I guess, first in a while. So I'm ready to go. These games get me pumped, by the way. Word games are yes. my bitch. Yes. Cool. I always look forward to coming up with the game, and I'm really excited yeah. for mine next week. But I was really hoping the word advance. Yes, yeah, really, I because I'm my... very excited for it. Oh, <laughs> I did mine like two hours ago. Okay, pre-nap. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> I was, was, it was so fun. Be, I was hoping it was going to be the letter S, and I was like, oh, obviously in the first two words. Sunrise, <laughs> and then Sarah. <laughs> but it didn't I'm work so out. I'm sorry for that donkey noise. It just made right in the microphone, Wes. It was like, ooh. Okay. <laughs> All right, Aaron, what you got? <laughs> All right. For um, the story I'm talking about today, it was recommended to me by my friend Yasmin, who's been listening to us since day one. So thank you so much for your support, Yasmin. We appreciate ooh, it. Thank and you. And this story is one I'm sure all three of us know and our listeners will probably recognize. So I'm just going to dive right into it. On June 5th, 2002, 14-year-old Elizabeth Smart was sleeping in her room she shared with her 9-year-old sister, Mary Catherine, when she was roused awake by footsteps and a knife on her throat. A male voice whispered, quote, I have a knife at your neck. Don't make a sound. Get up and come with me, end quote. Elizabeth followed the man's orders, grabbed a pair of shoes, and left with him. She asked the man why he was doing this, and he answered, quote, I'm taking you hostage for ransom, end quote. He also told Elizabeth that if she screamed or yelled, he would kill her and her family. However, unbeknownst to the kidnapper, Elizabeth's sister was not asleep. Mary Catherine was pretending to sleep, staying as quiet as possible so she could observe her sister's abductor as best she could in the dark room. Thinking the coast was clear, Mary Catherine attempted to get to her parents' bedroom to wake them up, but on um, Elizabeth Smart autobiography, which is, um, I'll describe it as a documentary, Um, which is available on Amazon Prime. It's a two-parter. 
Very, very, very good. Highly recommend. Um, Mary Catherine said that she was scared and she only made it to her doorway before she just kind of freaked herself out and retreated back to her room where she hid in her bed for a couple of hours. A little before 4 a.m., Mary Catherine went to her parents' bedroom, woke them up, and told them what had happened to Elizabeth. Initially, Ed and Lois Smart didn't believe their daughter, but after searching their home, they found that one of their window screens had been cut with a knife. Some of Elizabeth's siblings were interviewed on the documentary where they recalled how frightened their parents were and how they had never seen their parents act that way before, so they immediately knew that something was just very, very wrong. Yeah. Hmm. I'm impressed that little girl, though. Yes, right? Not, like, jumping up, screaming, losing it. Like, she had – how old was she? She was nine. And she had the wherewithal to be like, okay, I have to know your face. That's a true crime junkie right there. Like, yeah. yeah. It is. I'm sorry that happened to her, but at least she No, that was so smart for her to do. Yeah. Yeah, very – Two police officers arrived at the scene while Ed started calling family members, friends, and neighbors, telling them that Elizabeth had been taken. Neighbors got out of their houses, and family members gathered and headed to the smart house, where they mobilized and attempted to search the area. Don Bell, a now-retired detective, arrived at the scene to find some extended family members in the house, which was not taped off. In the documentary, he said, quote, that scene was contaminated beyond all hope end quote, and the whole house should have been sealed off. Yeah. This mistake most likely happened due to inexperience. Police were called early in the morning, and Bell mentioned that officers that work um, the graveyard shift tend to be the youngest members of the department. Great. Which I didn't know, but that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, sorry for the not-so-favorable shifts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, but A- also, like, I feel like bad stuff always happens at night. So... I guess it's like, take your pick, but that's sad. That's kind of sad. Mm. Yeah, but a more senior member may feel more safe, too, doing like a daytime shift. Yeah, that's true. Mm. I don't know. I'm not a cop. I only work daytime shifts for an office, so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. hopefully that never is an issue. After police um, were at the house, an officer went to Mary Catherine's bedroom to wake her up, and he asked her about Elizabeth's abductor. She told police that she didn't get a good look at the man's face, but she described him as a white male, around the same height as her brother Charles, so around five foot eight-ish, wearing light-colored clothing and a golf hat, which later, um, some of her description turned out to be not correct. Um, But she continues with her description, saying that he looked to be around 30 to 40 years old. The man had dark hair, as well as dark hair on his arms and the back of his hands, Mary Catherine also told the officer about the man's voice, describing it as polite, calm, and soft-spoken. She also mentioned that even though the kidnapper was whispering, she thought she had recognized it, but she couldn't pinpoint whose voice it was or where or when she had heard it. Hmm. Police also had to take the entire family to the station um, early that morning or that afternoon, where they were separated and questioned in order to rule them out as possible suspects. Yeah. The next day, on June 6th, Ed and Lois Smart went on national television, pleading for their daughter's safe return. Flyers were made and circulated in the community and on the internet. A community-led search was organized by the Laura Recovery Center, a nonprofit that works to prevent abductions and recover victims of kidnappings. 10,000-plus volunteers, as well as dogs and uh, people looking in helicopters, searched for Elizabeth for multiple days, but there was no sign of her. 
Police even used bloodhounds to search the area, but to no avail. Even though the police had a description of the kidnapper, there was little else to go off of since no DNA or fingerprints were found at the scene. Um, I mean, the scene being compromised probably didn't help that either. Right. Right. And hundreds of potential suspects were interviewed and questioned. And while some of them did go to prison for other unrelated crimes, they still were nowhere closer to finding Elizabeth or her kidnapper. However, police did have a person of interest early on in the investigation. They were very focused on Richard Reese, a handyman who used to work in the Smart home. He had mm-hmm. stolen jewelry, cash, and other items from the Smarts, was tied to three other burglaries in the area, had a history of drug abuse, shot at a police officer, and had served time in prison for an unrelated parole violation. So he's looking like a pretty good suspect. <laughs> yeah. Talk about things Let's you just shouldn't check all say on a boxes. first date. Like, yeah. <laughs> hey, you like what yes. you see? <laughs> I'm more sinister than you think, baby. <laughs> he can come on Reese, our show. Ah. denied having any involvement in Elizabeth's abduction. He passed a polygraph and his wife gave him an alibi, telling police that he was sleeping in their room during the time of the kidnapping. Mary Catherine also remembered, oh. um, I'm not sure when this was, but a little later on, uh, when he was uh, thought to be a pretty good suspect, she was watching a news channel where Reese's picture popped up. And she told her family she was certain that Reese was not the man that had taken her sister. Mm. Reese later died of a brain hemorrhage in August 2002. And while a lot of people thought that he was the prime suspect, Salt Lake City police did not believe he was Elizabeth's abductor. Okay. That's fair. After Reese's death, the case, I, I guess it kind of went cold, but Ed and Lois refused to give up planning press conferences in order to keep Elizabeth's name in the media, sharing home videos, and creating a website with information about her abduction. The Smart family was trying to keep it together. They were taking um, her kidnapping very, very hard, Lois and Ed especially. They would have moments where they would break down and cry, and Ed even had to be committed to the hospital at one point when he collapsed due to lack of sleep. Oh, God. Yeah, during the uh, Elizabeth Smart autobiography two-parter that I watched, they show you, like, you know, TV footage from that time where the parents are, you know, pleading for a safe return. And I was, honestly, I was tearing up at some parts. It was very, very sad and heartbreaking to watch. Well, it's got to be the worst, like, fear for a parent. Like, it's almost, I don't know. I don't want to say it's better if they're not alive, but at least you know what happened. Like, this is just, like, that fear of the unknown. Like, someone came into your house. Yeah. It's already, like, an invasion of privacy. They took your kid, and now you have nothing. Like, you don't know yeah. what happened. You don't know if she's alive. You don't know how she's being treated. Mm-hmm. Right. I can imagine you collapse and have all these issues. Like, that's so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they, oh. and you were given just enough clues to make you, like, mm-hmm. feel like you're so close to solving it. Like, oh, I cannot. Yeah. I cannot imagine that frustration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not at all. And they even mentioned, you know, during this time, and they're still trying to find Elizabeth and, you know, what had happened to her. Um, there were reports of you know police finding you know bodies and stuff so each time they would be like Mm. is this elizabeth is it not and then you know it wouldn't be so it's like that mix of will we know what actually happened to her or will we not yeah so i I just could i can't imagine what they went through no i don't want to imagine and this i didn't i guess i didn't really know about this um the smart family also became suspects at least in the public eye so obviously they have to rule the family out i know that 
But um, one family member failed a polygraph test, and a Salt Lake Tribune article stated that the kidnapping was an inside job due to the window screen being cut from inside the house. I don't know how they would know that, but that's the only article (laughs) that had said that, I guess. One of the family members said... Oh, go ahead, Morgan. I'm sorry. And, like, the scene was tampered with so much. Like, who knows? If I if I didn't understand, like, crime scenes like I do now from, like, watching stuff, if, if that happened to my kid or my niece or whatever, I'd go over and I'd, like, look at the window and be like, how'd they get in? You know, like, if you touch it, you're mm-hmm. already – you fucked with it. So there's – you don't know. I feel like you can't say anything. But I wonder if, like, the initial cut, like, whenever you cut that first time, if that's going to, like, leave, like, a curl of the – you know what I'm saying it's gonna yeah. make the oh. screen. Curl it kind of looked way. like it, yeah, from the picture. That's Yet again, I work in human resources, so I do not know that. But <laughs> yeah, that is my best guess. <laughs> I've never had the pleasure or problem to find that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the family member whose polygraph came back inconclusive said he was literally there taking it for like seven hours. I don't even know how, yeah, isn't that crazy? And I guess, I don't know if they were trying it multiple times or if it was just the one time, but it came back inconclusive. Um, However, police like took their computers, took their hard drives, looked at them, but they found nothing to suggest that a family member took Elizabeth. So besides, you know, I guess that article, they were like, no, the family isn't suspects. We don't believe one of the family members did anything. I mean, you got to rule them out. I get it. Yeah. When when did this happen again? Sorry, you said it in the very beginning. Oh, this happened um, in 2002. Oh, sh- wow. Why did I think this happened, like, early 90s? Whoa. I was today years old. Okay, sorry. Please continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's even... I don't know. I think this case is even weirder because I personally... I think my parents would remember it more. Like, I don't remember ever seeing anything on the news about it, but she's three years older than me. Like, now. So it's fair. Like, isn't that such a weird thing to think about? Yeah. Okay, 2002. I would have only been, like, 9 or 10. 2002? Yeah. So I wasn't watching the news. I don't know. My parents may have been more protective, but I don't think I would have known. They definitely would have paid attention. Mm -hmm. They probably didn't let me watch it, to be honest with you. Yeah. Probably not. That's terrifying. A break in the case wouldn't happen until months later, around February 2003, when Mary Catherine realized she recognized the voice of Elizabeth's kidnapper. She went to her parents and told them that a man named Emmanuel, who did odd jobs at their home for just one day, might have been the one who abducted her sister. The smarts contacted the police and gave them this new information. The police, however, were not so quick to act. They questioned Mary Catherine's ability to remember details of the suspect months after the kidnapping the short time she heard the kidnapper's voice, and the fact that Emmanuel had only worked for the family for one day. I mean, I can totally see why the police would be skeptical, skeptical yes. but I don't see why they wouldn't have jumped at the chance to look into this guy, especially since there were no other leads. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, she she was the sole person who s- literally heard and saw it happen, and like, I am a big proponent of voices, like, certain people's voices like really stick out in my brain like I can like recognize song lyrics really well so like if I recognize the person who possibly kidnapped my sister I'd be like yo fam get on this oh mm-hmm. <laughs> I agree 
Have you have you guys watched Joe Dirt yet? No. God. Uh, sorry. Anyone out there who's watched Joe Dirt, there's a scene, the whole thing, he's trying to figure out his last name, okay? And he's working at an alligator farm, and he puts his head inside an alligator, and of course it like clamps down, knocks him out a little bit. But in his knockout dream, he has this memory, like, jiggled loose of his sister being like, that's why dad named you Joe Dirt and not Nunamaker. So... It happens all the time. She could have oh remembered. And I hope this is correct because I want this man to be found. I don't remember how this case ends. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually like... Is it good? It don't tell me. It's fine. Ed and Lois didn't think the cops were taking Mary Catherine's tip seriously, so they hired a sketch artist. And on February 3rd of 2003, they called a press conference and released a sketch of a manual to the media. A few days later, the Salt Lake City Police Department received a call from a woman who said she knew the man on the sketch, but he didn't go by a manual. She told police that the man they were looking for was her stepfather, Brian David Mitchell, who she believed was most definitely capable of kidnapping. That same month, mm -hmm, that same month, America's Most Wanted aired a photo of Mitchell in an episode in the hopes that people would come forward with information about his whereabouts. So Mitchell was born in Salt Lake City, Utah, the third of six children to Mormon parents Irene and Cheryl. On Thought.com, a neighbor described the Mitchells as odd, but decent. <laughs> odd, but decent. I just thought that was funny. <laughs> so how they describe us all the time. Yeah. Odd, but they're, they're fine. It's fine. They're okay. <laughs> Mitchell had a seemingly normal childhood. He was involved in Cub Scouts and Little League, and he had a caring mother. His father, though, used some questionable parenting practices. At the age of eight, Cheryl taught his son about sex by showing him explicit photos and, uh, yeah, explicit pictures in a medical journal. Good night. <laughs> How sensual. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, like, teach your kid anatomy, but I don't know if eight years old is the right time to be doing that. Bro, you know? fourth grade was too early uh, for me, so I, I don't yeah. know, man. I don't, that's... That's a sensitive topic to each his own, but at the same time, age-appropriate things until they're at least 16. Like, come on. Until they're just 25, for sure. Well, when you're, like, oh, Wedding sorry, night. When you're, when you're 12, you don't need to learn about taxes. A anything in life, I'm saying. Not just sex stuff. I mean, like, you want to do... Okay, sorry. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> Take your parenting advice from us, folks. We have zero children between us, so we know. <laughs> yeah. We hey, know all you need to know. My fur babies count. I don't have to teach them about taxes ever. <laughs> and say, have you sat down and had to talk with them yet? No, 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 no. They got spayed at an early age. Well. Oh. <laughs> well, don't talk to your kids either. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Or you could also take advice from my mom, who never had the sex talk with me, but said, just do it in college. So there you go. Every part of my fiber of my being wants to go, did you listen, Aaron? But I won't. I'll be nice. I'll be nice. You can answer that on your own. <laughs> Truth or dare time. Did you? Drink if you think I listen to my mom. All right. Okay. There we go. Pausing. Uh, we love Beth. It's fine. <laughs> Anyways, so besides that, at the age of 12, Cheryl wanted to teach Mitchell about independence, so he decided to drop his son off in an unfamiliar part of town 
and drive away, leaving Mitchell to find his own way home. What? <laughs> you As let us harp do. on the sex thing for this long and that was coming up next? Oh my God. I know. He was 12? Yeah. No. Hey, my mom taught me how unfamiliar... to make mac and cheese at 12. Yeah. At least it was an unfamiliar <laughs> part of town in like, not like another like city or state. Like I could do that to my mom now and she wouldn't be able to get home. So it's all about perspective. Okay. My mom has no sense mm-hmm. of direction. I could drop her in the middle of probably like the downtown area of St. Louis and she'd be like, oh no. Oh no. I love you, mom. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's not independent. That's just like a different set of skills. Wes, cue the circus music. We are monkeys. Will there ever be an episode that just goes smoothly without any technical difficulties? No, I'm not sure. Then we couldn't perform on our feet, and that's not good for interviews. We have to be like, we're very adaptable. Another A word, if you will. So I'll get right back into my story and hope that my Wi-Fi doesn't go out again. So fingers crossed, guys. Fingers crossed. So yes, I talked about how Mitchell's dad, you know, took him to unfamiliar parts of town and drove away, leaving him to find his own way home. And as he got older, Mitchell started to isolate himself and he got into constant arguments with his parents. And when he was uh, at the when he was at the age of 16, he exposed himself to a child and was sent <gasps> to juvie. And this guilty no. verdict affected Mitchell's relationship to his peers and his mother. Obviously. You don't Ooh. say. <laughs> Does his mother he love was, him more? He was then sent to live with his grandmother. But soon after the move, he dropped out of school and began to abuse drugs and alcohol. And then things just go downhill from there. Mitchell married his first wife, Karen Minor, after she found out she was pregnant. Mitchell was 19 at the time, while Karen was 16. In the two years that they were together... That's so young. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. In the two years that they were together, Karen gave birth to two children, but the relationship was rocky and they soon divorced. Mitchell was actually awarded custody of the children because Karen had allegedly been unfaithful and had abused drugs... Karen, right? Karen eventually remarried and sought to get her children back from Mitchell. So she did regain custody, but not before Mitchell fled to New Hampshire with the children to prevent them from going home to their mother. Because that's sound, sound mind, I would say. Mm-hmm. The children did. The world. Yeah. They did return safely to Karen, though, but Mitchell ended up staying in New Hampshire for two years, oh, joining a Oh, I'm going to pronounce this so wrong. Hare Krishna commune. I think you're right. Commune. Okay, cool. Hare Krishna. I just saw that word and I was like, dang it. (laughs) I even looked up like the pronunciation on YouTube and I completely forgot. Like, I think that's pretty, (laughs) if that's not it, it's pretty close. Right, Morgan, you think? Uh, Yeah. Also, hello. Every episode, I'm like, I can't even say the word like angle. So, or penitentiary. So whatever. (laughs) That we're good. <laughs> so you got two two big votes for yes. Good job. Uh, yep. Sweet. I will take it. Nailed it. <laughs> Mitchell returned to Salt Lake City, and after his brother returned from a religious mission, he was inspired to quit drugs and alcohol. In the 1980s, he became an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and he married his second wife, Debbie Mitchell, who had three children from a previous marriage. 
Soon after their wedding, oh. they had two children of their own, but his second marriage also would not last. Their two children were sent to foster care, and Debbie accused Mitchell of being abusive and controlling. Thought.com mentioned how uh, disturbed Debbie was by her husband's interest in Satan, but Mitchell claimed that he was only interested in getting to know his enemy. Um, <laughs> so you picked the biggest enemy? Like, hmm. My enemy okay. is waking up in the morning, and I have enough challenge with that. I don't want to meet the devil, nor do I want to speak with him. Um, okay. The devil went down to Mitchell's. He was looking for a soul <laughs> to steal. Sarah! <laughs> do you know that I like... That's like Loki, a very favorite song of mine. Like it's so I weird. love when it's played at weddings. I go hog wild. Okay, sorry. He's the devil. All right, mm-hmm. we're going on. We're moving. We're moving. <laughs> okay. Okay. The couple filed for divorce in 1984, and Mitchell declared that he was not the abusive party. Debbie was. Mitchell claimed that Debbie was violent to the children, and she had turned all of them against him. About a year after their divorce, Debbie reported to police that she believed Mitchell had sexually abused their three-year-old son. A caseworker for the Division of Child and Family Services couldn't medically confirm this, but did recommend that Mitchell's visitations be supervised. And then one of Debbie's daughters from her previous marriage later accused Mitchell of sexually abusing her for four years. Which is horrible. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure whether, like, Just the daughters. Mm-hmm. Totally kidding. Yeah. I'm not sure whether the daughter's claims were ever looked into, but either way, he's just free to do whatever he wants and whatever he pleases. So, can you guys guess what Mitchell did on the day that his and Debbie's divorce went through? If you don't want to guess, when you don't got married to. again. Uh, What'd you say, on. Morgan? Okay, so he got divorced from. I said he went and got married again. You bet he did. Sarah, you can drink. Woo! Hey, Sarah. That's what I was hoping was. Third time's the charm, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. God. Wow. Yeah, I was going to say he worked at the Smarts house, but okay. Woo! All right. Great. This girl is on fire. All right. Sorry. I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) I'm going to lose in Sarah's game, so I have to be happy now. <laughs> so, All right, yes. so he's married again. Yes, he gets and married. Anyone out four. there who's married three times, totally fine. This guy just doesn't sound like a winner, and he's just no, pushing himself no. on people. Correct. Not at all. But he may have found the one. So he <laughs> gets married to Wanda Elaine Barzi, a 40-year-old divorcee with six children from her previous marriage. Barzi's family thought that Mitchell was strange, and her children described him as eccentric, but they accepted him into the family. Mitchell and Barzi were both active members of the L... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Wait. So he had seven from previous marriages, and she has six? This MF'er has 13 children? It's a year's mine and ours situation. (laughs) He's got a lot. I don't think he's caring for any of them now but (laughs) i freaking hope not oh my god okay sorry continue i'm so or at that point also no you're good quick math i did i'm just saying (laughs) (laughs) good job morgan good job thank you thank you (laughs) (laughs) oh god (laughs) 
Mitchell and Barcy were active members of the LDS church, but members started to notice that their religious views were quickly becoming extreme. Mitchell would portray Satan during temple rituals, and he woke up one of Barzi's sons, telling him that they had just spoken to angels. The Barzi children were officially fed up with their odd home life, Mitchell's rage, and their parents' extreme religious views, so they ended up moving away. It's probably oh. a good decision. <laughs> yeah. In the 1990s, Mitchell was excommunicated from the LDS church when he began to go by Emmanuel, claiming that he had visions and he was a prophet of God, Barzi also began to go by a different name, calling herself Hephzibah, and Mitchell changed his appearance, growing out his beard and wearing white robes to look more like Jesus. Okay. I didn't know they could excommunicate people anymore. I thought that was like a Middle Ages thing. Oh, no. You can well, be he like, just crossed ban- the line. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was banish, too much for them. Banish slash excommunicated. Can you say her name again? What did you say it was? Hathsheba! No, so it, she... Wait, what did you say, Morgan? What's your question? Her name, What's what Bessie's is she go name by? or whatever her name she is? She went by Hephzibah. Hephzibah. That literally sounds like Heifer and Beelzebub had a baby to me. Did he I- pick that name for her? Because I don't, I can't see myself ever picking, yeah, Beelzebub. Good question. For I don't know. But she was also like, they were kind of on the same level of weird I mean, she and crazy. Changed, yeah, she changed her name too. So I'm going to just pour my yeah. drink here. That's yeah. Mind me. For the best. <laughs> or my drink. Keep sipping. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so Mitchell and Barzi would also go downtown for what they called ministering. Like they were going to go out and preach. But basically all they would do was they would just beg for money <laughs> from nice. people. Good what? call, guys. And so they close. also, yeah, they also cut ties with family and friends. So I honestly don't think anyone knew what Mitchell was up to until, like, the sketch and his picture were aired on national TV. On March 12, 2003, the Sandy Police Department was contacted by a couple, claiming that they saw Mitchell walking with a woman and a girl in Sandy, Utah. The couple knew it had to have been him since they recently saw his picture on America's Most Wanted. Officers were immediately dispatched, and they questioned Mitchell as soon as they spotted him with the two women, who were also robed and veiled. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth's face was covered, like I said, by a veil. Also, she was wearing sunglasses and a wig to disguise herself. Even though she told officers that her name was Augustine, not Elizabeth, police placed her in a police cruiser while Mitchell and Barzi were placed in a different police car heading to God, the Salt Lake uh, City Police Department. Once good Elizabeth, job, cops. Mm-hmm, once Elizabeth was placed in an interrogation room, safely away from Mitchell and Barzi, she told officers that, yes, she was Elizabeth Smart, and she described to police what happened to her during her nine-month captivity. Ugh! I bet it was super fun to play a lot of board games, maybe? No. No. Okay. The kid things always get to me way more than, like, Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. It's bad. Elizabeth told officers that she and Mitchell hiked about three miles from her ho- uh, from her house and how when her and Mitchell were walking, at one point, a police car was, I guess, driving close to them or driving towards them. And Mitchell said just out loud to himself, quote, if this work is true, God, let this car pass, end quote. And the police car did pass by. But then Elizabeth started talking to Mitchell, Mitchell basically telling him, hey, you know, if you do this, you are going to get caught and go to jail. 
And he told Elizabeth that he knew what he was doing and he knew the consequences, but he wasn't going to get caught. So he's like not mentally stable, right? That's what we're collecting from this. I will get Baby to girl, that. Yeah. You're the end. Oh, oh, he think Ooh, a little he been bit. talking to the devil. He so. definitely, he definitely has some delusions, but we'll kind of yeah. talk about that near the end. Okay. Okay. Elizabeth realized who her kidnapper was, remembering that he had worked for the family, and I think she kind of discovered this later on, and this was later discovered. But the guy she knew as Emmanuel had actually scoped out her house the day he worked on their property so he literally only showed up for one day and the family was just like trying to help him out because he was on the streets yeah looking apparently looking for a job and so the family was like hey like you can do some odd jobs at her house whatever and i think he was supposed mm-hmm. to come back the next day but then he never showed up so what he was doing oh. was he was scoping out the property finding the best routes to get in and out in order to kidnap elizabeth has he never heard the term, don't bite the hand that feeds you? I don't think like, so. Like, you needed work and help, and they thought, let's be kind neighbors. Let's open our home to you. We'll give you some purpose, like, things to do. Fuck off, Emmanuel. Mm-hmm. That is I terrible. Mm-hmm. I don't Mitchell- know about you guys. I'm not on his team. I don't like him. Oh, never. Okay, just checking. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mitchell then led Elizabeth to an encampment where she met Wanda Barzi. Barzi began to wash Elizabeth's feet and started to take her pajamas off, but Elizabeth pleaded with her not to take them off. Yeah. Barzi told her to put robes on, and if she didn't take her clothes off, Emmanuel would do it himself, and he would just rip them off. Oh. Yeah. Hey, I have so, a question. Oh. I'm really dumb. Yes. You may not know. The, you may not. What's an encampment? I don't know. So they were just literally like camped out in like a little field. Did they have like oh. a tent? They were just oh. their home. So they didn't have a house. They had like a tent. Yes, they just had a tent. Okay. Yes. Great. great. Okay. Sorry. So that life is going great for them. Mm-hmm. So Elizabeth listens. She puts the robes on, and then Mitchell performed a ceremony and told Elizabeth that she was now her wife, and it was time for them to consummate the marriage. Where he <gasps> proceeded to rape her. No, she, no, no. Yeah, she mentioned that she tried to fight him off, but obviously he was bigger and he was stronger and she knew she wouldn't be able to overpower him. And Mitchell Poor would go baby. on to starve her and make her drink alcohol, um, basically binge drink, and rape her every day of her captivity. It's oh my disgusting. God. Just to make her more pliable, like to starve her and give her alcohol? Yeah. Oh, God, uh... And to That's keep not up God's his- work, by the way. I can probably guarantee that. He's not happy with that one. Mm-mm. And to keep her from escaping, Mitchell chained Elizabeth's leg with a steel cable, which he attached to a, dra- to a tree, giving her very little mobility. So even if she, you know, was possibly thinking about, hey, I'm going to escape tonight. Well, now she's really stuck. She can't really go anywhere. That's awful. Mm-hmm. On the third day of her kidnapping, Elizabeth remembered hearing people calling her name. So this is during the time where people are getting together to search. Because remember, she's only three miles away-ish from her house. So she could literally hear people calling her name. And she was getting oh. excited. But Mitchell told her that if she screamed out, he would kill her and anyone that came near the camp and near their tent. And then the voices eventually grew quieter until they went away. Oh, my God. Oh, oh no, Aaron. Oh. I know. 
she also remembered how helicopters were flying over um, the camp too, but they never landed. And she was even imagining like, oh, I really want, you know, someone to just like jump out of the helicopter and come and save me. But obviously that didn't happen. And then once they flew away and she didn't hear them again, she did kind of start believing that, you know, maybe nobody is out looking for me anymore, which is just really sad. Yeah. And Mitchell, this, ugh, this horrible garbage human, told Elizabeth she was the first of the many virgin brides he would kidnap who would accompany him into battle against the Antichrist. All right. Oh my God, I literally just got freaking chills. Blech. You what? Mm-hmm. Oh, Bro. and they're all going to sleep in this tent with you? Wow. It's very spacious spread you and Jesus have laid out for these women. Mm-hmm. And, and Elizabeth, I know he's delusional. I don't know, like, at what point? Okay. I don't know. That's a good question. I'm not sure. Elizabeth did remember how Mitchell, I guess, talked to her about his family sometimes. And one time he was talking about his mother and where she lived. And his mother actually happened to live near where her cousin Olivia lived. And Elizabeth kind of mentioned that without, you know, she just kind of mentioned it. And then she immediately regretted it because Mitchell didn't get mad at her for talking about her family, which he usually did. He smiled and told her that she, uh, excuse me. He smiled and told her that he would take Olivia as wife number two. So Mitchell attempted to kidnap Olivia, (gasps) but he failed. Thank God. Yeah. I didn't know about that. But that actually, uh, a little fact, that actually gave the Smart family some hope that Elizabeth was alive. Because they believed it was too much of a coincidence that another family member would almost be abducted the same way Elizabeth was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. So that did give them some hope. Poor girl, so that she kind probably of... thinks that's, yeah, and she probably, but that, sh- Elizabeth probably thinks, like, so poorly of herself, like, shit, I just yeah. said that. Like, it's a, such a normal reaction, especially when you're trying to make normalcy of the shit situation mm-hmm. that you're in. Like, oh, yeah. my yeah. cousin lives there. Like, and then you go, oh, fuck. Like, oh, Well, because he took girl. it and twisted it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Poor girl. Yeah. After some time at the encampment, Barzi started to argue with Mitchell about how he was the only one able to go out into town and get food while she had to stay at the camp and watch Elizabeth. So Mitchell said, okay, they could all go into town, but that Elizabeth had to wear a veil at all times. They started making regular trips into Salt Lake City, but when people noticed the trio, Elizabeth recalled a lot of people would just kind of turn their heads, you know, the other way. Mitchell even took Barzi mm-hmm. and Elizabeth to a party where they were veiled, and there are even photographs of this. So, like, all three of them are in photographs. They're at this... What? Yeah, they're at this party. Um, they're wearing robes, and they're veiled. And one of the guys at the party was interviewed in the documentary, and he recalled telling Elizabeth um, to get away from Mitchell just because he wasn't a good guy, and Mitchell was just acting like a drunk asshole and a weirdo. So this guy was like, yeah. hey, you know, maybe you should not be with this guy but also he you know the guy didn't know elizabeth and he also didn't feel like he was in a position to do anything else besides that or to take action so he was in his interview was super apologetic about not doing anything that night and not realizing how much pain elizabeth was in yeah but and still you know I on the know. inside she's like uh yeah i know he's not a good guy trust me like i can tell yeah. you without a doubt he's a terrible person he's a garbage mm-hmm. but she's being. Yeah, but she's also so frightened that she's not going to say anything. Like, at the party, yeah. she really didn't – I don't think she spoke to anyone. 
Also, say she doesn't know who's his friend, who's his ally, or anything like that. So I'd be scared to say anything too. Yeah, yeah, and you don't want it to be worse. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's something I'll get to near the end of my story as well. On August 27th, Mitchell Barzi and Elizabeth went to the library to look at information about California. Mitchell was thinking about traveling there once winter came. A person at the library, though, called the cops when she noticed the robed and veiled trio and made eye contact with Elizabeth. I remember reading on Wikipedia, I didn't really see this in other articles, but she said once she made eye contact with Elizabeth, she felt like she had to call the cops. Yeah. And then a homicide detective arrived at the library, coming up to Mitchell and Barzi, telling them that a girl was missing and he wanted to see Elizabeth's face. Mitchell and Barzi told the officer that she could not take off her veil because it would go against their religion. And during this um, interaction, Elizabeth stayed silent, thinking, quote, what if I said something and the police don't uh, didn't believe me, end quote. So oh. she doesn't respond. And, you know, Mitchell and Barzi are doing all the talking. And the detective seemed convinced, I guess, by their story. But he also knew that he didn't have the right to forcibly remove her veil and one of the like uh, one of the officers or detectives in the documentary was like doing that would most likely have cost him his job. Which I mean, yeah. okay. Yeah. I can yeah. see that. So I think he did as much as he could with as little information as he could, if that makes sense. It was yeah. sticky. It was a sticky situation. Yeah. In September, 2002, Mitchell, Barcy and Elizabeth hop on a bus to San Diego, California where Elizabeth was kept in an encampment in a dry creek bed in Lakeside. Mitchell was arrested that month for shoplifting, and he was arrested a few months later um, in California again in February of 2003 for breaking into a church. This was around the same time Mitchell's sketch was released on national television, but he was not recognized as the criminal wanted in Utah. Oh. I think it was pretty close to when it was released, so. Yeah. That's two times he's been arrested, and yet he's been released. Slipping through the cracks. Yep. Somehow. Wow. However, thank goodness they were caught, and Elizabeth was rescued. On March 18th, both Mitchell and Barzi were charged with aggravated kidnapping, aggravated sexual assault, and aggravated burglary. Barzi would be sentenced in November 2009 to 15 years in prison, later being released in September 2018 at the age of 72, where she will be under federal supervision for five years. So she's still got, I guess, three years of that. However, I saw Wikipedia, and I think I looked at other articles too, that said that she is a registered sex offender in the state of Utah. Good. Good. But three months after her release, she moved near a Salt Lake City elementary school. Huh. <sighs> Apparently, there are no restrictions for how close Barzi can live near the school, but she is prohibited. I sure hope so. From going on the school's property. <laughs> uh, yeah. You should be prohibited. Yeah. Ugh, hate it. Okay, very interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah. Interesting yeah. tidbit for there me to sleep on tonight. Thanks. I yeah. think at this point, though, like, people know that yeah. she's there. You know what I mean? So She's kind of infamous, least, so. Yeah. At least people are aware. But still, yeah. why there? Mm. It took Mitchell, this is what kills me, it took Mitchell almost eight years to be sentenced due to his defense claiming that he was not mentally fit to stand trial. They stated that Mitchell's extreme religious views were delusions and on History.com, 
Mitchell's attorneys announced that their client believed that kidnapping Elizabeth was a call from God. So in 2005 and 2006, Mitchell was declared not competent to stand trial. But this ruling was reversed in 2010 when Dr. Noel Gardner conducted a competency evaluation and found Mitchell to be fully aware of his actions, that he was deceiving the court, and he was completely fit to stand trial. So that same year, Mitchell was convicted, and on May 25, 2011, almost nine years after Elizabeth's abduction, Mitchell was sentenced to two life sentences where he will spend the rest of his life in prison. Good. Because I'm sorry, mm-hmm. even if yeah. you, okay, even if you are delusional, you still knew what you did was wrong because you were hiding it and you were hiding her. So you knew the difference between right and wrong. Right? Yeah. Like, shouldn't and you even, still stand trial? Like, yeah. And even like his responses to Elizabeth when he was like, I know what I'm doing. I'm not going to get away with it. If you, if you speak out or if you say anything, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to kill your family. Like, I, d- I think he knew what he was doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would agree. And I'm not saying Garbage. he wasn't like very religiously extreme, but I think he also played on that too in his like interviews, um, in his uh, questionings with police too. Oh, yeah. So it took quite a bit, but he did thankfully finally get sentenced and he should be in jail for the rest of his life. Thank God. Good. Yay. After her rescue, Elizabeth recalled feeling fully safe when she was finally reunited with her family and how supportive they were. So her family never really rushed her into getting back into like her life or even just into her routine again. They gave her a lot of space and um, time to heal. Very nice. Good job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She later returned to school and picked up her hobbies again. Biography.com noted that a few weeks after her return, Elizabeth and her family hiked to the encampment where Mitchell had kept her captive. When asked about the experience, Elizabeth responded, quote, I felt great. I felt triumphant, end quote. She graduated high school on time and went on to college to study music performance. She became an activist for survivors of kidnapping and child victims of violence and sexual assaults. And she talked about her experiences in numerous interviews and became a public speaker. She helped author the United States Department of Justice's 2008 Handbook for Kidnapping Survivors, titled You Are Not Alone, The Journey from Abduction to Empowerment. In 2011, she started the Elizabeth Smart Foundation, whose mission is to empower women and girls with the knowledge and skills to protect themselves against sexual violence and abuse through education and hands-on self-defense training, as well as providing support and resources for victims and families. And I will go ahead and link that um, website in the show notes as well in case any listeners want to get involved or are in need of resources. And Elizabeth is still very, very vocal about her kidnapping, especially since people continue to question, you know, oh, why didn't you escape when you were taken out into public? And then some people do bring up, like, maybe Stockholm Syndrome was a factor. But in her interviews and articles, she has stated many times that she herself made her rescue possible. She did not feel any attachment towards Mitchell or Barzi, but knew what they were capable of. She had even seen, obviously, Mitchell time and time again get away with crimes. So, of course, she would have been hesitant to even say something to police because, Mm -hmm. per Elizabeth's words, if she did tell police who she was, but the rescue failed and they ended up having to give her back to Mitchell and Barzi, she wasn't sure she would ever see the light of day again. And then one guy. Your rescue, like your escape attempt is going to work. It's too risky. Yeah, I get it. It's one thing mm-hmm. when you're when you're kidnapped and kept in uh, the basement and you don't see anything and you're not kept up. But, like, it seems like he 
took her places and like she was very in the loop of like what was going on in quote quote their family life Mm -hmm. so like i would Mm -hmm. feel the exact same way like you're not she's not always struggling for to escape an actual like quote prison she's just trying to be smart about it honestly Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. i think she yeah definitely brings it up a lot and this guy who was interviewed in the documentary i didn't catch his name but um he i think he honestly said it best he said quote you don't have a right to question why this girl didn't run away end quote and i think this is so true and it's so important like we can think up so many different scenarios in our heads and we can talk all day long about what we would do differently in that situation but unless you have actually been through something like that i don't think you can judge the choices she made to stay alive Nope. No, because nope. she did stay alive. Yeah. yeah. And her she kept her wits about her. Yours. She came out victorious. Mm. Yep. Mm. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People. Yeah. So I just don't think you can judge that. <laughs> so stop. No. And then, uh, so today, Elizabeth is married and has three children. She has published a book in 2013 about her experience titled My Story. She is a commentator for ABC News, and she continues to be an American child safety activist. And that is the story of the kidnapping of Elizabeth Smart. Thank yeah. you. And thank you. You're welcome. You and thank you. Yeah. It had a nice I ending. Second, Sarah. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I think one of the words that comes to mind for me about Elizabeth is that she's resilient. I think that's the one word that comes to mind. Like she didn't, I don't think she necessarily even gave up and she was still thinking um, how she could survive um, in her own way the entire time she was with her captors. So yeah. Yeah. It sounds like no matter what challenge or no matter what uh, like new information she was given, like, yeah, you know what? If I heard, if I was captured and I heard someone screaming my name and then I heard them disappear, I'd be, I'd have doubts. But even through those doubts, like you said, she was resilient. Mm-hmm. So she found new ways to cope and to move on. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You so go, I Elizabeth think. Smart. Yes. <laughs> and I think, Sarah, you are up next. All righty. Let's, uh, let's pump up the jams. Pump it up. Pump up the jams up. Okay. We are all drinking today, correct? Yep. Yep. Okay. So today I'm covering the most common mental disorder in the United States of America. It affects oh. about 10% of our population. What is it? Aww. Yeah. Welcome to the Thunderdome, it's... bitches. Wait, wait, wait. Repeat. It's the most what? It's the most common mental, mental disorder in the United States. It's one of two. Aaron, go. Don't Google it. Can you give us choices? <laughs> this <laughs> Uh, no okay i'm gonna say anxiety i'm gonna say anxiety anxiety okay okay well i was gonna say depression i guess but if that's the same thing it's not and you're both wrong take drinks it's phobias god hey yeah i don't i don't like where this is going because you know mine i don't like where this is going (laughs) drink up buttercups um my Mm. sources psychcentral.com medicalnewstoday.com and a youtube video from osmosis called phobias specific phobias agoraphobia and social phobia who's ready to get scared nobody in a hush all right well i'll say a hush falls over the crowd (laughs) 
scared to death it might seem. Everyone yeah. has fears. Uh, myself, I'm afraid of wasps and the ocean. Like on spring break, I held my pee for as long as possible because I was terrified to squat in the water. Same thing <gasps> with wasps. If there was a wasp in the house, I'm going to barricade myself in a room until said wasp has been killed. Hence why I have never lived alone. What are you guys afraid of? And Aaron, I swear to God, if you say nothing, I'm going to quit this podcast and start a real life superhero comic about you. So there better be something. <laughs> I wouldn't say nothing. I would say, I don't, I'm not afraid of like things, maybe just like failure, like disappointing people. You know what I mean? All right. That makes sense. Being a disappointment. Podcast <laughs> over. I'm done. Good night. Aaron, What? Yeah, I That's don't. That's a very real fear. I got it. I hear you. I know, but mine are stupid now. <laughs> we should have let Morgan go first. Yeah. <laughs> no, really. No, I like no, that actually, it would have been worse. Let's talk. <laughs> it would have been worse. All right. I got... All right. I really, really... I don't like bugs. Like... Yeah. I literally would rather pick up a snake that, and, like, put it outside than a bug. Like, my sister bought me a bug catcher. You like squeeze yeah. the trigger and it picks them up for you, and then you just I remember that outside, yeah. Um, and then but my real, f- nah. my real fears are mascots. Basically anything. <laughs> shut the fuck up. Basically anything. Do not laugh. Basically anything that has like its face covered up, and yeah. I don't know who's under there. So like, what falls under that category for me is. Santa and clowns, but also like oh. one time, like school mascots. I don't do it. Like if you've ever gone <laughs> to a sporting event with me, if if like Rowdy the Red Hawk was anywhere near me in, in our college football days, I was like no 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 no. And like I turn around, I don't look. Like I just, I don't like it. I don't like it. Yep. Okay. okay. I know everyone gets to have their fears. I think that's fair. So a phobia though is a step further. Um, it's like an intense and it's often pretty irrational fear. Like it's going to be like terrifying. Like you mm-hmm. would not have even gone to the football game because you want to avoid it. What if I cried? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get you a let's get you a talk someone to talk to. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Morgan, this is actually an intervention right now. I think yes. Sarah's oh, trying no. to say something. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, she, yeah, according to you. doing so good according to medicalnewstoday.com a phobia is a diagnosable mental disorder and when someone has a phobia they're going to experience intense panic and distress and when faced with this particular thing or situation wow i did not inflex my time right but whenever this thing occurs you're gonna you're gonna freak the fuck out um it's gonna cause people to shape their lives around it example yeah if i had a phobia of the ocean and not a fear I would have straight up just peed my pants like I would not have gotten the water or I would even not travel to the ocean on vacation at all. So luckily, I'm able to enjoy the natural wonders of beaches and shallow waters only when they're clear and maybe when I'm intoxicated. (laughs) But Morgan, you can still go to the games. So, yeah. Um, Okay. An estimated 19 million Americans suffer from these intense phobias. Like I said, they are more intense than like a simple fear, which would at best cause discomfort. Um, phobias, they can be and usually are irrational. Maybe the mascot thing. And oh, maybe you, oh. maybe you do have a phobia because they're not in your life every day. That's why. Like if you worked at a clown yeah. store, then yeah. No, that would never fucking happen. I don't know. No, 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 no
I was reading something I think, and I said, like, there's a lot more phobias of snakes in the United States than there is in Australia, but there's a lot more snakes in Australia. So it's a little I, more irrational for us to have snake phobias if you don't see them all the time. Yeah. I think I think my my fear is with bugs and maybe not fully phobia, but like I'm more on the phobia border with mascots and things like that Mm -hmm. then like going to a like going to a haunted house i've only been to one my whole life because i just i just don't i've been to one and i was more scared of the the people than like i didn't care if they scared me i was scared of seeing them like they could have just walked up to me and i still would have screamed like i yeah (laughs) yeah 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 it's fine it's great no, no, no. So people who are suffering with a phobia, they can even know it's irrational, but they can't stop themselves from being terrified. So it's your body responding to a stimulus of some kind, and they're going to be sweaty, have chest pains, nausea, disorientation, or even like a full-on panic attack. They could cry, just like you did, Morgan, also. So maybe you do have a phobia. <laughs> Every time I, I do one of these, I'm convinced somebody. myself and everyone else has them. But we're going to say you don't. You're fine. You're, you're totally fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Hence why I couldn't be a counselor. I'd be like, oh, you're fine. You're just Scoot on out of here. Pumpkin, you're good. Glue up. Um, <laughs> glue up. So yeah, like no matter how irrational the phobia is or how crazy it seems to someone else, the reaction itself is real. Like you don't have control over that and that's like the hardest part. So yeah, I feel you. Um, also people who suffer with phobias, which by the way, the word phobia is used to refer to the fear of one particular trigger. But per usual is a bit complicated. So there are three types of phobias. The first one is specific phobia. Um, This is probably exactly what you're thinking. If you guessed one specific thing that makes you intensely scared, that would be it. Um, So like spiders. Yep, 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 yep. So pick up your drinks later. We're going to play guess the phobia. Oh, gosh. First up, acrophobia. Afraid of heights? Aaron? Ooh. I'm wrong. I'm very wrong. That's not fear of spiders, is it? No. That's arachnophobia. Never mind. Fear of drowning. Morgan is right. Aaron, okay, you should have just said drink. that. <laughs> well, I had to Are make you, you both. <gasps> yes, that's not. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, acrophobia is the fear of heights. Wow. All right. Up next, we have androphobia. Andro. <laughs> oh yeah. Being being buried alive. Okay. <laughs> the glue wow. is suffering. <laughs> Is your mouth glued together? <laughs> yes. I don't know. When you said Andra, I thought of androids. Fear of technology? Ooh, good guess. I threw, I did this one on purpose. Okay. It's fear of men. Girls, what's your weakness? Men. Okay, now. <laughs> I, I thought maybe the word Andra would make me think of Andrew. Oh. Trying to do a softball. All right. This one, cholerophobia. The fear of crying? It is the fear of clowns. I thought you would have gotten that one. Ooh. Oh, see, I don't even Col- want to look up anything about that. What's it called? Say it again. It's C-O-U-L-R-O-phobia. So cholrophobia. Cholrophobia. Calrophobia. I was thinking, I don't know why, but I was thinking like colic, like when babies cry. I don't know. Oh, That's- fair enough. Fair enough. I um, tried. Two more. <laughs> oh, um, sinophobia or cynophobia. C-Y-N-O-phobia. Cynophobia. Oh, that is... Uh, I... Is that? I don't think I know it. Like I know the word. Like I've seen it. It's really common, but it's not what you think. So I'm sorry, guys. Is it the weird? I shouldn't say weird. Is it the fear of holes? Like holes? No, that's like trypophobia. 
Yeah. Son yeah. of a Traduc- gun. Traduc- See, I'm not going to get yeah. none of these right. It's the fear Kindle Jenner's. of... Kendall oh, Jenner apparently Jenner has, has trichodophobia, trichodophobia. Trichodophobia. Huh. Oh. Wait, say I what didn't I'm write down. again. Um, it is sinophobia or sinophobia. Afraid of dragons. also adopted. Fear of dogs. Aw. See, that's it's why like, I don't know it because they love them. I know. It's one of the, like, top ten, like, most common ones. Probably Damn. because something happened when I was a kid, like, with a dog, like, a little accident. Mm-hmm. And then it mm-hmm. was, yeah. So, yep. very common. Not what it sounds like, but it's that one. Okay, we got two left. This one, pedophobia. P-E-D-O-phobia. As in pedophile, pedophobia. I will let you know now, it is not fear of pedophiles. Thanks for clearing that up. You're Scared welcome. Scared of bikes? <laughs> pedal Aaron you want to guess or just drink is it fear of traveling or travel it's fear of children I gave you pedophiles it's fear of children okay last one is it bikes <laughs> there probably is a phobia of bikes though Probably. Who knows what happened to people? Um, last one on the line, ladies. Take it or leave it. Chromophobia. C H R O M O phobia. Chromophobia. Scared of metal. Okay. <clears throat> Not crazy. Okay. Maybe this is going way off. But chromo, I thought a chromosome. So like fear of like well, you already said fear of children, but like Fear of having sex or having a baby? I don't know. Aaron, I don't know what you did this weekend, but um, maybe take a step back. It's fear <laughs> of colors, you guys. Oh, well. Hey, I said metal, and that is, that's not a color. I, I, I think tried. you. Uh, good night. That was a good guess. That was a really good guess. I almost said silver, like a like specifically a color. Yeah. Damn. All right. You know what? In retrospect, when I read them, they made sense because I was like, Got the answers in front of me, but that was not really fair to you guys. But anyway, drink anyway. <laughs> okay. So that was a list of just some specific phobias. So like the exact one thing, like kids, colors, clowns, whatever. Mm-hmm. The other, there's two more types. The second one is social phobia or social anxiety. And this is the extreme fear of public humiliation or being judged by others. Um, the idea of a large social gathering is going to just be terrifying to this person. Um, and it's very different from shyness. Like, you will have anxiety for weeks before an event where you're going to have to just be around people. Whoa. Yes. So, so uh, sorority recruitment would not be something they do. Um, <laughs> the third kind is agoraphobia. And when I first learned of this one in, in high school, it was explained as fear of open spaces. And that made zero sense to me. Um, like, do these people think they're going to fly away? But when I found this uh, medicalnewstoday.com article called Everything You Need to Know About Phobias, it explained it in a way better way. So basically, it's just the fear of the open, but the, f- sorry, it's not so much the fear of the open, but it's the phobia of being in an environment where you could have a hard time escaping if you were in a panic or if something were to happen. So an elevator, a supermarket, anywhere outside of your home, you could be scared of just because it could be hard to get away. Um, so, you know, we feel safest at home. Yes. And people okay. So is, oh, sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is that like the example that comes to mind is so shameless. the bench warmers. Oh, <laughs> I was thinking shameless. So 
Um, specific phobias, those are straightforward because it's a specific stimuli and it's going to cause that intense reaction. So snakes, spiders, wasps, all like I said. But with the agoraphobia and social phobias, um, they're known as complex phobias because they're triggers or things that make them go into a state of terror or panic. It's a lot less obvious and it could be more than one thing. So this is going to make it a lot more difficult to live with and treat. Avoiding a trigger is going to be exhausting for those people. So there's going to be large crowds anywhere and everywhere, schools, malls, work, concerts, and this leads to a lot of people staying home. So a complex phobia also means, like I said, it's more than one thing. So cue the scary music. Um, anyone with agoraphobia can also suffer with monophobia, which means fear of being left alone, or claustrophobia. And I'm throwing you guys a softball here. What does that one mean? What's claustrophobia? When you're scared of small spaces. Yes. Mm-hmm. Aaron, drink your second. <laughs> you got a bit quicker got than that? Quicker oh. than that. <laughs> yes. So, fun. But that, that kind of makes sense. Like, you feel safest at home. You're scared to go out into these places because, yes, you could be claustrophobic. And you'd be scared that once you're in this confined space, like an elevator, you wouldn't be able to get out. So you're agoraphobic and claustrophobic. Or I your mean, yeah, claustrophobia is calling agoraphobia. Yeah. I, when, when you first talked about the base simple, excuse me, simple mm-hmm. phobias, I was like waiting for you to say agoraphobia because I was like, oh, I know that one. Uh, I'm sure yeah, everyone yeah. does, but I know it. But it's mm-hmm. interesting. But like it also makes sense because like you, you, it's a fear where like, it seems like you're like you're scared to leave your home because of the outside yes. world, because of the possibility of encountering something else. So, like with the benchwarmers guy, I know he was scared of the sun and other things, but like, mm-hmm. okay, you're scared of the sun, so you go outside. Maybe you plan, like you have an umbrella, you have all these things, but then the agoraphobia is going to kick in because what if you go to a baseball game, the wind blows your umbrella away, and now you're stuck. In this large group of people, you can't get out very quickly and you're going to have like a panic attack because you're in the sun. Like all these factors are building up. So just that's got to be incredibly stressful. And that's why they're complex. Like they're a lot harder to treat. Um, So anyone have an idea how you get a phobia? Just like some past trauma? Yeah. Or you got to be quicker than that, Morgan. (laughs) I mean, there's other things. But um, so psychologists, they know a lot more about specific phobias as opposed to complex ones because obviously they are complex i know i'm gonna beat this to death really but specific phobias are exactly what they sound like just like i said before one specific thing causes a fear or a panicked response um Mm -hmm. so these phobias they normally form between the ages of four and eight years old so just on little tots and the reaction to an unpleasant experience or it could be that a child witnessed the phobia of a relative and just kind of mirrored their behaviors so Mm -hmm. The experience could be they were put in a closet as a punishment. It may seem harmless, but it really would have scared the child, which then would follow them through life, and that could lead to claustrophobia. Yep. Or a child may witness their mom being terrified of spiders, so they too start to develop arachnophobia. <clears throat> My mom's afraid of clowns. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is something interesting I found, actually. Phobias, they aren't hereditary, but if your parents or someone in your family has one, it's more likely that you would also. Yeah, definitely. So, oh, one million percent. That's probably why I'm scared of them. <laughs> I mean, they're also a little spooky. So if something weird happened, like at a Chuck E. Cheese, that could have done it. And those clowns, yeah. or those mascots of Chuck E. Cheese were nutso looking, oh. so I do not blame you. 
I will not talk about it. I'm sorry. (laughs) So complex phobias are complicated. So psychologists aren't entirely sure why they occur, but there are a few leading theories. Um, Some researchers think that they are a combination of life experiences, brain chemistry, and genetics, which I'm on that boat. Or there is a theory, which I don't particularly buy into, but it's out there, and I'm reporting on it because we're fair, that it may be leftovers of habits from earlier human beings. Like this would be from a time where things were a lot more uncertain. Humans would have stayed out of the open spaces for safety. Spiders would have been more rampant everywhere if you lived like in fields. So hmm, those are your two options. Take those as you will. Um, And to give credence to both theories is the fact that certain parts of our brain can save and remember dangerous or scary memories. So, yep. There is a whole sector of your brain just dedicated to real-life horror films. Woohoo! Hey, That's fun. Just what everyone wanted. But to be fair, so these parts of your brain that can play the scary movies or whatever, they do serve a purpose. Like, they're trying to protect you. Like, hey, hey, remember last time we saw spiders? It was super scary. Like, you may want to have the right response. I don't know if that's the right way to handle it, but that's what our brains do. So yeah. what psychologists have found recently is that People who suffer with phobias have an overactive amygdala, hence the A word I thought of earlier. Mm-hmm. And this is the part of your brain, yes, that controls the fight or flight response. And it's located in your temporal lobe, which is basically like if you touch your ear and you go just to the top of your ear, it's kind of right there. And it goes mm-hmm. forward like towards your eyes. So your actual yeah. amygdala is probably somewhere around like the edge of your hairline, like where your high cheekbone is. So they're somewhere Whoa. in there. Okay. Yeah. So it's in the front of that middle section of your brain. Um, And yeah, that's what controls your fight or flight responses. Learn something new every day. So when someone has a traumatic um, or to them a traumatic experience as a child, if a similar event happens later in life, that flight or flight or flight fight or flight response comes into the forefront and it puts the whole body in like a high alert. Um, So again, your brain is just trying to protect you just in a really way that may not be the most helpful. Yeah. 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 So good news. Phobias are, well, most of them are highly, highly treatable. First step is always talk to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and they can help you develop a treatment plan that works for you because not, well, just like all phobias aren't the same and people aren't the same. All treatments are not going to be the same. So quick blurb on behavioral therapy, just so no one is in the dark. Or assume psychologists are just using the electroshock therapy for everything. It basically, it's a slow buildup is all it is. The example I found on medicalnewstoday.com website was great, so I'm going to use it. It is the phobia of planes, and it's, uh, and I'm going to make you guess. It, <laughs> do you guys know what the phobia wait, of planes plane, is? Wait, planes like P-L-A-N-E-S, or planes like, I guess the rain's gonna the plane drive <laughs> You know, I don't know. <laughs> Since planes you got it like last on week, an airplane. Okay, I just wanted to do it. All right, all right. Sure. <laughs> like the word said, is just really hard. Mean... It's like, uh... no, that's, that's fair. It's teromerhanophobia. Oh, I should have Yeah, I wouldn't one. have guessed that. <laughs> no. Okay, so basically, if you had this phobia of flying, um, a psychologist would work with you and they would have you like lay down, like think about flying. Okay, that's step one. Until you're comfortable with that. Then they go to step two. So now we're going to look at pictures of planes, look at people on planes, like kind of like just getting yourself more familiar. Step three, take you to an airport. Step four, 
you do like a simulation cabin, like you sit on like a simulated flight, just really like slowly hmm. getting you ready. And then step five would be actually boarding a plane going on a flight. Yeah, wow. you're just basically slowly like getting yourself more and more comfortable with it. And you may do each of those steps like a couple times. Yes. Be- you would never like rush one. someone. Yeah. I don't know if they do this anymore, but whenever I was learning about this in high school, there was something called flooding where basically you just like I have this phobia and they would take you on a plane with planes, <gasps> pictures of planes, plane t-shirts, just like, wow, ah, we're here. But I didn't see that was a thing anymore. So I don't know if that's like from the 80s, like before we knew a whole bunch, but. God bless. Maybe. <laughs> Hopefully that's not your desired effect. Um, Okay, lastly, because celebrities are just like us, a few of them have phobias. Who knew? And get your drinks is our last guessing game. Wait. Which card? I'm ready. Okay. Drama. All right, so we have four. First one, which Kardashian sister has a fear of belly buttons? You said it. You just said it. Kendall. Kylie. Kendall. I said Kendall. Well, you could only do. I'll say Kylie. <laughs> it's neither of them. Kendall it Chloe? Has some, it's Chloe. Yay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Kendall has a fear of like those little, uh, the trick of the holes. Oh, yeah. That's who's. Okay. I remember oh, that. I was thinking hole. Okay. 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 Like, yeah, I'm calling these phobias. They may be phobias. They may just be intense fears. I'm not there to judge. Um, which beautiful and famous Australian has a fear of butterflies? Nicole Kidman. Correct. Nice. <laughs> Correct. Right out of the gate. I wouldn't have gotten that one. I felt I like I found my anyway. calling. <laughs> Writing um, trivia questions will be my new calling. I like it a lot. Thank you. No, you are the game show host. <laughs> Come on down. Which sexy Transformers star has a fear of dry paper? Sexy? Mark Wahlberg? Uh, nope. Megan Fox. She was the sex oh. in movie. <laughs> yeah, sorry. She I was like- <laughs> I was thinking male, not female. That makes a lot more sense. I think a lot of things about Shia LaBeouf, but um, unfortunately, I know, that's why me and Morgan were like, we're like uh, I go, I was like, I go, Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Hannibal Megan Fox. Terrible Shia LaBeouf. You know that he's in the video. It's so funny. Yes, there's this whole um, like interview with her where she talks about like she has to have like. Being an actress was really hard for her because she just hates dry oh. paper. I, so she I has mean, to like, lick I, her I fingers. I really like when my paper is wet, so. Literally, she licks her fingers all the time, apparently. Or she has, like, this little, like, if she's just really deep into reading a script, she has this little, um, like, thing of water that she'll dip her fingers in before touching paper. It's Did a struggle. toe thumbs? Wow. Really bad. Really, really bad toe thumbs. It makes me happy. She's so mm-hmm. pretty. <laughs> she has to have a flaw. Okay, mm-hmm. lastly. Which longtime celebrity has a fear of clowns? I don't know, but we Longtime celebrity. Yep. I mean, they're been so around since the out. 80s. Oh. Oh. That, oh. I can't tell you anything else about them. Wait. Uh, I can't tell you. Oh. Well, um, I can. It's a man. Since the 80s. Uh, hold on. Big time it's celebrity. Big time. Leonardo DiCaprio? Okay. No, but okay. <laughs> or, um... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Okay, the an- take a drink. The answer you're looking for is Johnny Depp. Oh! Oh, okay. We, yeah. Uh, mm, something we have in common. How? how I think my second guess was going to be George Clooney, but mm, I'll take enough. the L. I was going to, yeah. 
Um, okay, so they're just like us. Overall, phobias are very real and they very much suck, but there is help and life is too short to be scared or take your mental health for granted. So if you think you are suffering, reach out to a psychologist or psychiatrist in your area and be good to yourself. We love and it. And there's no shame in having a phobia, even if it is of mascots. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Laugh all you want, you listeners. Just you wait. Next time some stranger comes up to you in a morph suit, unexpected, tell me you're not a little frightened. Uh-huh. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, phobia. Hate that. Hate that shit. Sarah, thank you so much. Thank you, I Sarah. a lot. And mm-hmm. also, like, very nice. God, you're so good with the questions. I was ready. I was on edge. It's like my favorite part. I can't believe you got Nicole Kidman so fast. Did you know that, or that's the only Australian you know? Moving on to my topic. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I she, no, I was like, no, I think she's one of the only like. Well, when you said it, I was like, I, I just instantly thought of Nicole Kidman. I also, I think I may have heard in the past that she had, had a weird phobia, and I was like, mm, butterflies are kind of. It's not weird. We hello says the girl who's afraid of freaking mascots and Santa, but yeah. No, it's I think fine. she was talking this um interview like she tried to go to like a butterfly house and like get over it, and that did not happen. Mm-mm. Like she's tried several times to like get past it and she hasn't yet. So she's trying. I've, I have made attempts and every time I've tried, it just made it 10 times more scary. So I'm good where I am. Like you yeah. stay over there. I will be in my little bubble and all of my friends are very aware of it. So like if they feel like if we're at the mall and the Easter buddy's there and I just like randomly grab their arm, they're like, ah, shit, here we go. So yeah, yeah it's fine. <laughs> You're so, making it. Um, yeah, I'm surviving. <laughs> so for my topic this week, I decided to jump back into some listener stories because um, we had two lovely siblings write into us. Um, so some of their stories kind of play off of each other. So I will just go through. They were very informative and they also like kind of broke them up into age groups or just different stories. So um, I've got a good handful of them from two lovely sisters. So starting off. Um, we have a, some stories from Colleen. Okay. So she writes, Hey, spooky sisters. First off, sorry for the, <laughs> sorry if this is insanely long. I did cut a couple just to make sure we had time for both mm-hmm. sisters. Uh, you don't have to read the whole thing at once. Um, it's, it's long. I get it. So the house that my sisters and I grew up in was definitely haunted, which doesn't make a lot of sense because it was built in 2000 and we moved right in. But whatever. As a Ooh. result, we have tons of ghost stories. So here are a few. Ooh, maybe the land was haunted. Yeah. Uh, Maybe. Maybe. Growing up, my bedroom was to the immediate right of the top of the stairs. When we first moved in, I saw a figure standing in the corner of my room. However, I was really sleepy and like eight years old, so I just assumed it was my imagination. Then when I was between 10 and 13, I had a beaded curtain on my front door and it would fall all the time. (laughs) I know. I read it. I was like, yeah, let's go. You a nice Beaded curtain. (laughs) I'd be so jelly. Right. Um, and I will say she does try to, t- to debunk it because she says it would fall all the time. But granted, it was held up with push pins. So she did try to debunk it. Okay. Anyway, I was on my way up the stairs after breakfast to get ready for school. And something slash someone was playing with one of the strands of beads and swinging it like Ugh. a jump rope. <gasps> no, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. The That's curtain came hard. down. <laughs> right. It says the curtain came down swiftly after that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. A lot of weird shit used to go down in my childhood bedroom. Like, I used to have a small ceramic box on top of a jewelry case. 
It was a religious-y First Communion thing with scripture verses on it, and it would constantly fall off my jewelry case. Well, one day I was doing what normal 12-year-old girls do, singing into my hairbrush in the mirror to some Britney Spears. Hey. <laughs> yes. I hear that. I hear it. We see it. We hear it. We love it. Mm-hmm. And the freaking mm-hmm. box gets chucked across my room. <gasps> I don't really know what to do, but mainly I was just over all this weird shit going on. So I just calmly shut off the music, put the brush down, picked up the box, and walked out of the room. Looking back, Leave I was old. Brittany alone. <laughs> Leave her alone. <laughs> She's a goddess. A she, did, she did nothing to you. Right. She did not deserve this. And apparently I hate neither the ghost. did Colleen. I know. He's mean. No. Looking back, I was always super moody and anxious growing up, and all that immediately stopped when I moved out. I've since moved back into that room, and I should probably sage the fuck out of it or call a priest or something. Uh, Nikki, her younger sister, who also wrote into us, was going to move into it, and she said she said no because she could see used to see things in it too. <gasps> right? Oh no! Yes. Like I said, my stories intertwine, so just you wait. Oh, no. Okay. So, going back to my childhood bedroom, when I was growing up, I had my bed facing to where I could see down the hall to the linen closet. On the left-hand side of the hall was my parents' room, and on the right was Nikki's. Again, younger sister. I woke up one morning and rolled over on my side and looked down the hall. I watched as a woman, around teenage to early 20s, walk from my parents' bedroom to my sister's room. She was around my height and had medium-length, dark, wavy hair. She was off-putting because she was dressed in old-timey clothes. She had, and she was completely grayscale, black and white, like I was watching an old movie. She also had a bright mm-hmm. white light coming off of her abdomen, right under her boobs, where her rib cage would meet her sternum. For whatever reason, I had a feeling I knew she was looking for a baby that she lost, but I wasn't afraid <gasps> of her. She then just walked into Nikki's room, and I haven't seen her since. Yeah. Like, oh, that's a no. weird feeling to just like oh come. And Nikki over you. is the sister of Colleen. Yes, yes. Okay, there Colleen. are three. Okay. There are three girls. There's Colleen, Kathy, and Nikki. Nikki is the youngest. Um. All right. One more from Colleen. So last story for now. Uh, her parents. Uh, she earlier in the email she mentioned that her parents uh, owned a couple of their own businesses. Uh, throughout their, her life so one business that they owned was a newspaper so they'd go around jeffco uh for those who are not from st louis it's jefferson county and they would uh they okay they own a news they own a Jeff newspaper <laughs> we're just shout out uh they own the newspaper so they would go around <laughs> jeffco frequently to report on various events or parades or things like that this time they went to desoto to watch a parade it was hot and miserable outside but after the parade we went to this bed and breakfast my parents knew the owner after uh, from doing the paper. After eating some food and cooling off, the owner offered to give us a tour. I love old buildings, and this place has maintained its old-timey feel. Uh, as he's showing us the bedroom and bathrooms, he's telling us a little bit about each room. We get to one room, and it has a beautiful clawfoot tub. As I look at the tub, I got a sense that a woman killed herself in the tub. I could not physically <gasps> see her but I could see her in my head and I could sense that she had regretted what she had done. I told him about, oh. I told my mom about it after the tour and didn't think much of it. I was probably 12 or 13 at that time. Fast forward to when I was in high school, my dad, Kathy, older sister or middle sister. Okay. And I were older, middle, I think older than Nikki. Nikki's the baby. <laughs> and I, and I were on our way from school after a football game. 
Somehow this bed and breakfast got brought up and my dad mentioned that they had closed. The owner said that there was a lot of spooky stuff that had happened in the place and he just didn't want to deal with it anymore, so he closed it. The owner had also told my dad a few people had killed themselves in the bed and breakfast. In one of the rooms, <gasps> a man hung himself oh, after God. getting in a fight with his wife. Another man had shot himself in a different room. And finally, he said, a woman had taken her life by slitting her wrists in one of the bathtubs. I froze. I asked him if he knew details about her death, specifically if it was in the clawfoot tub that was set up in one of the bathrooms. He told me he wasn't sure, and he couldn't figure out why I was acting so weird. I told him when he visited the tour, I could sense that woman. He got a little freaked out and told me that most things in the bed and breakfast had been there since it opened. I'm not 100% sure that it was the same woman, but in a town that small, I cannot imagine that it was not the same woman that I sensed years ago. Most of these weird things probably happened because we had numerous seances in our house. However, we also had seances because there was <laughs> so much weird shit going on. I know. We, uh, we had weird shit going on in our old house, but since I was so young when we moved, I can only remember bits and pieces. Uh, I can write more about other stories. Uh, I have some time if you'd like. Uh, I have a ton of stories, yeah. but this is getting really long. I love you ladies so much, and I'm so proud of y'all for putting together this podcast. Keep it up. Two heart emojis, Colleen. <laughs> so, Thanks, Colleen. Thank you, Colleen. Yeah, so... Can we do a seance? So I have a weird thing to say. So when I originally read these emails, I, like, scanned them real fast and threw them into the ghost folder on our Gmail. Okay. And I was like, all right, I'll, you know, it's listener stuff. I'll come back to it when I'm ready to do a listener's episode. And I'm reading the one that Colleen wrote about the woman in the bathtub. And as soon as she said beautiful clawfoot tub, I literally got an image of a woman who slit her wrist in a bathtub. And it kind of freaked me out. And I was like, what? What just happened? And the more I read, and then she got that feeling too. And then she was told that a woman slit her wrists in the bathtub. I was like, what? So it definitely freaked me uh, out. <laughs> freaked me out a yeah, lot. Yeah, I bet. So, yeah. And jumping to our other listener who wrote into us which is nikki colleen's sister okay so she also wrote in uh like four or five kind of like colleen did and i just picked my favorite one so we're diving in from nikki when i was like four or five i had three toys one was a dora the explorer backpack that anytime you opened it it would excitedly say backpack backpack what do you need today Another was a Dora the Explorer map, and it said, I'm the map, I'm the map, I'm the map. <laughs> yeah, I could sing you all of the songs, but I will not. That was a note from me, but it's fine. Okay. Uh, oh, oh, excuse me. He would say, I'm the map, I'm the map, I'm the map. Where are we going today? Sorry, missed that last part. <clears throat> yeah, get a and one. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And one was a flashlight that was a witch and would cackle anytime you turned her on. That's a weird thing to say. Anywho. <laughs> All of these toys yeah, started did. having minds. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, all of these toys God. started having minds of their own. They would speak <gasps> when I wasn't playing with them, and I was okay with that until my parents found out. But how <gasps> they found out was kind of scary. I'm not gonna lie. The witch was the first to go. She would go off, and I never minded it. She would do it while I was playing. But one day at 1 a.m., she started going off. I was the first to wake up and was in my room. I kept telling her to be quiet and that she was going to get me in trouble. As uh, I was really upset because she was supposed to be my friend and she wasn't being nice. My dad came up, came in, came in mad that his four-year-old was awake and playing at such a late time during the week and asked what I was doing. Me, still on my bed, said, she's not turning off and I don't know why. 
She never does it at night. My dad asked me what I meant, and I told him how she'll just randomly go off. He pulled her out of a pile of stuffed animals I had shoved under uh, or over her to try to quiet her cackle. And when he looked at her, she cackled right in his face. That second, uh, no, no. That second, no. my dad said, "The batteries are coming out of this thing." That quieted her for that night. The next night, still shoved under my stuffed animals with no batteries, she went off again. My dad came in, asked what was going on, and I said, she's going off again. It won't stop. But this time, my sisters Colleen and Kathy Mm -hmm. came in with my dad. They all got her and shoved her in uh, in the middle room closet, hoping that would silence her. It did again for that night. The following night at 3 a.m. roughly, she cackled again and would not stop until everyone in the house was awake. We tried everything. I even threw her down the stairs. Finally, my dad hit it with a hammer and threw her in the trash can. That was the end of the witch. And he I was swear done though, with her. Yeah, he I don't blame done. him. <laughs> oh, my God. She says, but I feel that I could still hear her cackle until the trash man came and got her. Nope. The map was next that would randomly go off. Now, it wasn't as bad as the witch, but the voice started to change. This was thought because of bad batteries, but after they were changed regularly, Mm -hmm. the voice was still warped. Colleen remembers it's actually saying something different to her than it was programmed to do. I just remember it was my friend, and I thought it was nice, and then he had turned mean and was not nice anymore, so I threw him away. The backpack was the least scary, in my opinion. He would go off all the time, and because of, of the map and the witch I had that had scared me earlier, I yelled at him to be quiet. When he wouldn't go off, I remember what my dad did before, and I asked my dad to hit it with a hammer and get rid of it. Oh, <laughs> and that was after I took the batteries out of it. But whatever, I mean, ghosts nope. are going to find a way to talk to you, apparently, no matter what. I hope you enjoyed some of these stories, and if you'd like any more, I will happily tell you. Have a beautiful day, and great job on the podcast three exclamation marks peace love oh, and all things creepy nikki so thanks, thanks you nikki, nikki. yeah i wanted to bring you some yeah. actual sisters for this sinister podcast uh <laughs> Ooh. yeah yeah Ooh, that's so eerie though that's the, so eerie and the fact that like and i again you guys i put the emails in, in our folder so you can read them in more detail if you'd like mm-hmm. but, like some other stories are just so mirrored it's wild but yes thank you colleen and nikki for writing in um it was yeah i'm glad they yeah Yeah, i'm glad they did guys they tried to debunk them too because i've had yes uh like a stuffed animal i had like this winnie the pooh stuffed animal and that's what it reminded me of until all the other freaky stuff happened and i'm like totally doesn't relate but my winnie the pooh one would sing like the theme song until like literally i shared a room with my sister and late at night i woke up because the battery made it go so slow and deep and i literally had and it wouldn't stop it wouldn't turn off so i had to like put it in um i had to like just throw a bunch of like clothes and stuff on top of it and muffle it and then it finally just died and i think we like threw it downstairs so definitely that wasn't like a spooky thing it was definitely just the battery but that's so creepy I can hear so the creepy. theme song now in like a low. Oh, oh. Winnie the <laughs> yeah. Pooh. It was like really deep too, Winnie and I the Pooh. Pooh. nightmares. Yeah, I don't. But Nikki, your experiences else? were a lot <laughs> worse. So we're <laughs> done with that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks, guys. 
That was great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and wonderful. yeah, I hope this was enough sinister sunshine for your day. And yeah. I did check um, as of today's recording, we are at 98 Instagram followers. So <gasps> we have made some posts about once we get to 100, we plan on doing this fun little giveaway. Um, just because we appreciate you guys and for listening to us. So we mm-hmm. just need, um, once we hit that goal, then we'll go ahead and do that giveaway. So maybe by the time yeah, this comes out, we would have already met it. Yeah. yeah but yeah, hey, if yeah. you're not following us anyway, go over to Instagram. Our handle is at Sinister Sunrise Podcast. So give us a follow on there. And if you have any stories for us, whether they're personal or just topics of stories you would like us to talk about in the future, send us an email at SinisterSunrisePodcast at gmail.com. And then also you could help us out by going over to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a rating and review that helps us and the algorithm gods will be very happy. And then other people will be able to find our <laughs> episodes. We must so, please the gods. Yeah, other people can find our episodes in our podcast. So yeah, thank you guys for listening today. Sarah, Morgan, I don't know if you have anything else to add. Yeah, you nope. nailed it. Not we got awesome. it. We got it. Thanks guys. Awesome. All right. Yeah, thank, thank you guys you so much. <laughs>